we did a great announcement for that last week. MAGS groups are starting back up. That's our men's accountability groups that Mike Harrison leads, and so that's starting back up. Uh, Laura Osnes is starting her Exodus study uh, in, in, uh, on Tuesday mornings on September 29th, and all of these things can be found online. So there's a lot of them. Uh, out back, we have a place for you to sign up for uh, 40 Days of Life to be praying uh, for mothers who are considering aborting their children, and so we want to encourage you to sign up for that. Uh, so just all kinds of different things that are happening. Uh, and then Jim Welch is with us this morning. Hey, Jim, love you, man. His wife just passed away this week, so uh, give him a, a hug. If you're taking hugs, be praying for him. Uh, and uh, there's a memorial service coming up for her, I believe. And so do you have one scheduled or nothing yet? Okay. Um, we love you. I'm sorry, man. I know uh, life has its punches and bruises, but God's in the midst of them. And then some of you know that Ed Harone, uh, he used to come here years ago. And he just recently passed away as well, so he'll be paying, praying for his wife uh, and his family. So those are some, some bummer things. But I, I do have uh, one thing I think is really neat and special. So to pastor a church, to lead a church requires a great amount of sacrifice, not only on the pastor's end, but on uh, the family's end as well. So my wife has made some tremendous sacrifices for this church, and so have my kids. My, my wife has a say in what sacrifices uh, we take to do in ministry. My kids don't. Uh, they, they just have to go with it. But today is a really special day. It is uh, September 6th, and uh, it's a, a monumental day for us and a monumental day uh, for our oldest son. Uh, and so I want to ask my son to come on up here. He turned 10 today. So Peyton, come up, bud. So I wanted, to, uh, I wanted him to see what I see on Sundays, and then I wanted to just pray for him. Uh, and uh, he's, he's entering into kind of the next stage of manhood. Uh, we, we got him a BB gun for his birthday, so don't shoot your eye out. Yeah. What do you think? Nice. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I just wanted to do this as a special way to let him know I love him, care for him, and I want to pray for him because I, I do want him uh, to be an example to the other kids in the church, obviously. Uh, w- you know, the PK thing, the, the pastor's kid thing, we want to avoid that, so... You're really good to your brother, uh, your two brothers and your sister, aren't you? Yeah. Yeah, just an angel most of the time. Pray for you. Lord, I just thank you so much for my son. Thank you that he's part of our family. Thank you for the 10 years of life that uh, he's been with us, for the journey he has started into us having what is considered a large family in this day and age. And thank you for the way he does serve the family. Thank you for the ways he plays with his younger siblings and just the joy of seeing him at times even playing with our youngest son, David, and helping him build Legos. I just pray that you continue to give him a heart uh, of a servant and a heart that is courageous, and I just thank you for him, Lord, and I give him into your hands. I know that you love him more than I do. I know, Lord, that, that he means more to you than I could ever think or imagine. As much as I love him, I know that's unfathomable, but your love is eternal for him, and I pray that he would always find his hope and his security and his assurance and his identity in you, and I trust you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, you're free. Um, Exodus chapter 34, I want to go there first, Um, and uh, and then we're going to cover chapter 35 and 36. We just have a few more weeks in Exodus, a couple more weeks, I think, uh, in Exodus, and then we're going to start in Timothy, and I have some reasons for that, but... um, we were moving, if you remember last week, I tried to emphasize 
the, the need for God's presence, that more than anything else, that what we need is the presence of God in our families' lives and in our church, that we could have all the programs in the world. We could have uh, all of the right leaders if we want, want that. We could have the best-looking leaders, which we know that's not the case here, but um, you could have all of the things that you could think or imagine, but if you don't have the presence of God in a church, if you don't have the presence of God in your life, you ultimately have nothing. Uh, the way that Jesus says it is, what if you gain the whole world? What if you get everything that you want, but you forfeit your soul? Uh, what, what is that worth? Uh, and so I think for us as a leadership, and I think for us as a church, we need to be praying for more of God's presence. We don't want TED Talks on Sundays. We don't want uh, to be fluffy. We want to be rooted in the gospel. We want to be rooted in the word of God, and we want God to fall upon this place, upon your leaders' lives and upon your lives, that our lives would be filled with flourishing and fruit. Uh, and if you would, I know this is tradition for us here, so if you have the ability this morning, would you stand with me? And remember, I, I want to tie chapter 34, starting in verse 6, in with chapter 35 and 36, and we're just going to jump around in a couple verses here to cover what we can. But chapter 34, verse 6 says this. Remember, uh, Moses has asked for uh, the, the glory of God. He wants to see God. He wants to have God's presence. And the Lord said this to him in chapter 34, verse 6. The Lord passed before him, just the tail end of his robe, if you remember, and then God gives, this is an important scripture. I didn't highlight it really hardly at all last week, but this is an important verse because it's the time, it's the moment in history where God makes his name known to his people. And God is making his name known to us. He's giving us his identity and he says this, the Lord, the Lord, and here is who he is, a God, merciful, gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and the fourth generation. And Moses then, after hearing this, quickly bowed his head and worshiped. And on the tail end of this in chapter 35, go to verse 4 of chapter 35. Moses then said to all the congregation of the people of Israel, this is the thing that the Lord has commanded. Take from among you a contribution to the Lord. Whoever is of a generous heart, let him bring the Lord's contribution, gold, silver, bronze, blue and purple, scarlet, yarns, fine twine, linen, goat's hair, tanned ram skins, goat skins, acacia wood, oil for the lights, spices for the anointing oil and for the fragrant incense and onyx stones and stones for setting for the ephod and the breast piece. This is all for the tabernacle. Jump now to verse 20 of chapter 35. Then all of the congregation of the people of Israel departed from the presence of Moses and they came, everyone whose heart stirred him and everyone whose spirit moved him and brought to the Lord a contribution to be used for the tent of meeting and for all of its service and for the holy garments so they came, both men and women, all who were of a willing heart, brought brooches, earrings, signet rings, armlets, all sorts of gold, objects, every man dedicating an offering uh, of gold to the Lord, and everyone who possesses blue or purple scarlet yarns or fine linen or goat's hair or tanned ram skins or goat skins brought them. Everyone who could make a contribution of silver or bronze brought it to the Lord's contribution. And everyone who possessed acacia wood of any use in the work brought it and every here's another part here different 
different than just the material goods every skillful woman spun with her hands, and that's used multiple times throughout the next few verses. Now jump, last little section here, to chapter 36, verse 2. Uh, verse 3, and they received from Moses all the contribution that the people of Israel had brought for doing the work on the sanctuary. They still kept bringing him free will offerings every morning so that the craftsmen who were doing every sort of work on the sanctuary came, each from the task he was doing, and said to Moses, the people bring much more than enough for doing the work of the Lord he has commanded us to do. So Moses gave a command. And the word was proclaimed throughout the camp, let no man or woman do anything more for the contribution of the sanctuary, and the people were restrained from bringing. Lord, we trust you this morning to do a work upon our hearts. In Jesus' name, the church said, amen. You may be seated. Okay, so in the beginning, in chapter 34, I read, God introduces to us who he is. Now, I just want to make this note because it's important. When we define who God is, uh, that is to say, when we begin to establish our doctrine or our theological thinking about who God is, we must allow Scripture to define who God is. Are you with me this morning? What this means is if you have an idea of who God is that is uh, the opposite of something that Scripture says, you have the wrong idea of who God is. And so there's a tension in which God introduces himself here, for instance, that some of us might find offensive uh, and some of us uh, won't find offensive. So, so for instance, when we read the introduction of who God is, we love this idea that he is steadfast in love. We love the idea that he is faithful, and we love the idea that that's towards thousands. You know what we don't like as Americans? We don't like when he says, however, I will not clear the guilty. I, I, he's saying, I'll, I'll visit wrath upon those who, he, what he's saying is those who don't repent, those who don't turn from their ways, there is judgment for them. That's the justice of God. So we love the idea of the love of God in the United States, but we don't love the idea of the wrath of God. In fact, for many people, the wrath of God in the United States, that's offensive to talk about. Like, don't touch upon those kind of things. Now, with that said, if you go to the Middle East, they, they actually are offended by the love and the grace of God, and they actually embrace the idea of the wrath of God. It's offensive. One of the things you have to understand about the gospel is, if it's true, it's going to offend somebody, okay? So here's, here's, let's just tie this in a little bit with where we're at today and defining who God is. The church is no longer, in my opinion, bound, bound to have to adhere to some of the things that the government is saying that the church has to adhere to. We have to adhere to what the church is by the design of God, right? Are you with me this morning? So, so what, what I'm saying is this. I'm not, I'm, I'm not saying that we're going to rebel. I'm not saying we're going to go rogue. Or I'm not saying that we're going to start picketing and throwing rocks. That's not what I'm saying. Please hear me correctly. But what I am saying is, is we now have to be willing to offend a certain group of people in order for us to be the church that God wants us to be. We have to be okay with that. Are, 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 do you understand what I'm saying? You can ask me a question if you want, and I'm willing to enter into the dialogue at this moment because I know that there is just so much nuance to this, and, and there's a lot of confusion to it. So we want to keep people safe, but God has commanded us as a church to gather together, to worship Him and to sing, and to proclaim who He is in goodness, and He has called us to disciple. He's called us to evangelize. These are things that the church must do in order to be obedient to the Lord, okay? 
We've got to share God's word. We've got to evangelize. We've got to gather. And we've got to do it in a way that glorifies God and shows the community around us that we are not under the obligation of fear, but we are filled with faith and love and courage. Okay? Now, here's the deal. The reason I'm saying this is because I, I did not realize how fearful people are in the United States of America. People are scared to death. There, there are some of us that, that are in our church, if you're honest, you're scared. You're scared. And, and, and I would say the reason in part that you are fearful is because your faith in the eternity is small. Because we're not living for this life, are we? I mean, come on, we've got guys in the Bible who are willing to be stoned to death and to die right there in the moment for proclaiming God's word. Coronavirus is nothing compared to real persecution. And so I just want to take a moment here this because here's what's interesting about when we jump into chapter 35 and 36. God says, okay, he, he, he relents from, from some of his judgment upon his people for not being obedient. And then in chapter 35 and 36, the people, we see radical obedience in the people. They, they are bringing gold, they're bringing yarn, they're bringing all of their beautiful stuff that they've plundered from Egypt, and they're giving it back to Moses to build their tabernacle. This is actually, this is actually the most uh, that we've ever seen in all of the Old Testament. It's one of the few times in all of the Old Testament where God's people actually do exactly what they're supposed to do. Okay, so, so you're going to hear people at times, little apologetics, where you're going to hear people at times say, uh, I can't believe in God because the Old Testament God seems so angry and so, so upset, and, and the New Testament God, he seems so gracious. And if you look in the Old Testament, there's so many contradictions in the Old Testament uh, that you can't really believe in the New. Let me just answer this for you, okay? Just so you know, the Old Testament is, is written for us to see what life is like when we don't totally live according to the way God wants us to live. So it's a historical document that's been written by the Spirit of God through man to show us, okay, listen, you say, well, in the Old Testament, you could have a lot of wives. Well, yeah, but the Old Testament also shows us how bad that goes. That's what it's telling us. You can't have a lot of wives because this is not going to end well for you, right? You, you, you can't sin in this way. You can't do these things. So God, God is now bringing us into this moment of obedience, and so here's the message this morning is God because ultimately what God is doing in Exodus is he's shaping and he's molding his people that his people would be distinct from the rest of the world. Okay, you know what God's doing in, in the Hebrew people? He is molding them through trial and through travail and through hardship and through difficulty that they won't be like the rest of the nations. They need to be distinct. And we saw last week that the number one distinction amongst God's people is God's presence. Okay? Our response as we move forward into November, as we move forward into December, as we move forward into a new election and new leadership, we must be distinct from the rest of the world. What that means is we have to respond differently than everybody else, okay? We can't take the popular opinion. We, we can't allow social media to affect us. We can't allow the government officials to elect us in the wrong direction. We have to be distinct, and that distinction, again, has to come from God, okay? So, so what are one of the ways that flows out of being made distinct? It's the generosity of God's people. So yeah, this is a message on giving. I know we love those messages. 
But it's what makes Christians, it's what makes God's people distinct. Now, now think of this for a moment, or I'm going to cover what's our motive in giving and all of that here. But this is what's literally happening. God's people begin to bring all of their stuff to Moses. Now, remember, I told you, I, I read in verse 36 this really neat piece of scripture. I think it's amazing. I think it's neat because people, people are, are giving to Moses in abundance to the point where he literally says, if you remember when I read from 36, uh, chapter, chapter 36, 7 through 8, somewhere in there, Moses gave a command throughout the camp, stop giving. I would pray that that would be every pastor's problem. You know what? We've got too much money, too many resources. We've got just, we, you got to stop. Would you just stop? And, and, and so let me, let me make a couple things here. First of all, first of all, why would we be generous? And we're going to get to different parts of how you're generous and all that, but why would we be generous? What is our motive to be generous giving people? Well, in the text, we see the motive is because God has already poured his generosity into them, right? Where did all the gold come from? From, from God, <laughs> Because God said that, that, that Egypt was going to have to give them these resources. So God's already been gracious. And the reality is, is this verse that I read earlier from chapter 34, that God is gracious and that he is kind, man, it is repeated in the Old Testament over and over and over and over again. But why would we be giving people? Why does, why does it make us distinct? Because God is a giving God. He gave his only begotten son. He's given us himself. Psalm 86, 15 says it again, you, O Lord, you're merciful, you're gracious, you're slow to anger, you're abounding in steadfast love. Do you, do you remember uh, that, that season we were in when we got to walk through the book of Jonah? If you were here, man, we, I, that was just one of my favorite books to preach through in that season. Uh, they're, they're all online. You can check them out if you want to. But if you remember Jonah, after, uh, you remember the story of Jonah? He's, he's like, he's told by God, you got to go to Nineveh, a people that he hates, a people he doesn't like. You got to go to Nineveh and you've got to preach the message that I give you. And Jonah runs away. And again, he's, he's disobedient. Another spot in the Old Testament for more disobedience. What happens in his disobedience? God sends a whale and swallows him. Three days, three nights, he's in the whale. Whale barfs him up. He goes to Nineveh. He preaches a lackluster sermon. And the people, all of the people repent, and Jonah's so upset that these people who are not Hebrews repent, he goes outside of the city. Do you remember? And this is what he says to God. You know why I fled? I knew that you were gracious and merciful, slow in anger, abounding in steadfast love, and you would relent from disaster. <laughs> he, he didn't want to see those people saved. He was like, I know if I share the gospel, essentially this is what he's saying. I know if I share the good news, if I go into the city, I know that those people, if they repent, you're going to forgive them. I'm not okay with that. Do you have anyone in your life like that? Is there anyone in your life right now that you're like, I don't want to give them the gospel because I don't want to see them in heaven for eternity? Do you have anybody in your life like that? I got like three. That's all, just three. So we, 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 we are like him, Jonah. We're Jonah in the story. And yet God is faithful to continue to pour himself out. In fact, Romans chapter 5 says the whole reason that Moses gave the law was to increase trespass so that in the increasing of trespass where sin increases, that grace would abound all the more. 
I mean, that's an amazing verse. God says, says, essentially, the more you sin, once you realize how dark your sin is, the more of God's grace and love that you tend to have. That's why the Bible says, he who has been forgiven much loves much. So God is giving. He is, he is kind because he's given him himself. In fact, Tim Keller, used, he has this great quote where he says, every treasure that you have, you have to purchase. But Jesus is the only treasure that purchases you. So why would we give? Why would we be shaped into this image? Because it's the heart of God. Giving is the heart of God. The second reason that we give is because we recognize everything belongs to him anyways. Like nothing's ours. Nothing. We own literally nothing. Everything belongs to the Lord. I've always really appreciated Pastor Wayne's approach with this because he, he is, he, he, if you want to ride his motorcycle, all you have to do is call him and be like, let me ride your motorcycle. And, and he'll let you use anything that's his. I mean, he has no problem just giving it to you. And he, he has said to me before, I know it's the Lord's, I know it's the Lord's. He's always been offering up his, uh, he's got this little racy car, this little race car Miata. Some of you have seen it. It's turbocharged and it's really light and it goes really fast. Well, uh, several years back before I had children, um, and, and that's an important distinction for you to know before I tell the rest of the story. Before I had children, Wayne said, uh, we, my wife and I were going through some rough stuff. Wayne said, hey, listen, somebody wants to bless you. Uh, they want to send you up to Oregon so we could go visit John Corson's church, Calvary Chapel guy. I love him to death. He's been a huge influence on my life and my wife's life. And so it was an opportunity for us to go up and see John Corson. And so Wayne says, you can take my Miata. So, so I, 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 I drove this car to Oregon. And I say that loosely because what I really did was I raced it to Oregon. And I raced it back. And some of the roads there are just straight and you can just go. Right, And so, again, this is before I had kids, and I am a sinner, so please have grace with me as I tell you the story. I am flying down this road. I think probably somewhere in the 90 range, maybe a little higher. And I got pulled over. So I get pulled over, and, uh, and so here he is. He's like, dude, this is inexcusable. He didn't smile, but um, he, this is inexcusable. So he goes back to his car to write the ticket. And then he comes back, and he says, it's your lucky day. I'm out of tickets. God is gracious, and he is kind, and he is merciful. And, and then I, I drove home the speed limit the rest of the way. Um, I, I just share that story because, because the heart of God is in the heart of Pastor Wayne, that nothing that we own belongs to us. Your house is not yours. Your Money is not yours. Your jewelry is not yours. Your car is not yours. Your, your very life as a Christian is not yours. God calls us to give us our lives as a living sacrifice back to God. So our very being, our very soul, all of our materialistic goods, everything is the Lord's. And so we should have this idea of being generous because it is ultimately His. We're just stewards of God's stuff. What you have is for you to be a steward of it. As I prayed for my son Peyton this morning, I, I love him. He is part of my DNA, but, but I am stewarding his soul. His soul doesn't belong to me. It belongs to God. And so I have an obligation as a father to steward that soul that in hopes that my son would make a real faith response to God and that God would be his God, not that God would be his dad's God. I don't want my faith to be his faith. I want his faith to be his faith. I want that to be real to him because of the presence of God is real to him. 
And how does God measure your generosity? What does it look like when, when God says, okay, let's say you are a giver. Are you really a giver? God's the one who gets to decide. Well, well, if you look at verse 21 and verse 22, as well as some of the other verses in the rest of the passage, it says that the people who gave, gave only because their hearts were stirred, their spirit was moved, or they had a willing heart. You see, God measures your giving not by, not by whether you feel manipulated to do it or you feel strongly encouraged to do it by your pastor, but because there's something inside of your heart that just moves upon you and, and, and you give. Here's the deal. If you're going to give and you're going to have a bad attitude, don't give. This is one of the hardest things for a pastor to say because we, we need funds to make church happen. We need funds for free counseling. We need funds to be able to put these tents up. We need funds to have speakers and music. We need funds to provide free materials to kids and free camps to high school and junior high kids. We need funds to do all of those things. But we can't do it. It's not free. And so it requires generous people to make these things happen. And so it'd be easy for me to stand up here and say, hey, listen, um, we need your money or kids aren't going to get saved. That's not how it works. That's the wrong way to communicate. Your heart has to be stirred within you. You've got to have the presence of God because in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6, the Bible says, actually, he who sows sparingly will reap sparingly. If you're not generous, you're not going to get a lot of things back in return. He who sows bountifully, it says, will reap bountifully. However, it says in 2 Corinthians, listen carefully now, each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly, not under compulsion, but God loves a cheerful giver. God loves when, when you're excited to give. Now, another pastor says it like this. He says, oftentimes, people who aren't really church people, you, you hear that first part there? This may not apply to you. But oftentimes, people who aren't really church people, they think, all the church wants is my money. I love the rest of this quote. Buckle up. You ready? All the church wants is my money. No, no, no. The church wants so much more than your money. They want your life, they want your vision, they want your future, they want your gifts, they want your talents, and yeah, they want your cash. God wants it all because he wants your heart. All of that has a way of distorting and disfiguring if you don't have a new heart. Don't give reluctantly. If you don't want to give, don't. God doesn't want you to give under compulsion. See, what he's saying is, saying is, is ultimate, like, like God is not interested in you just giving a few dimes or a few bucks or, or, or a little bit of your time here and there to the church. God wants all of you. There's this great story of a, a man in Africa and a missionary was down in Africa and, and he was sharing the gospel and then they took an offering for the missionary and this young guy in Africa, the plate came to him and, and as the plate came to him, he, he told the usher to, to put the plate lower. And he put it lower, and he said lower, and he put it lower, and he put it lower and lower until it was on the floor, and then the man stepped inside of the offering plate to show that, that, that he knew that ultimately he may not have money, he may not have resources, but he knew that, that he needed to give his whole self to God. Well, what would it look like if all of us were so dedicated to giving all of ourselves to God? Jesus actually says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Jesus essentially is saying, if you want to know what you really worship, just take a look at your checking account. Because where you spend your money is where your treasure is. There where you spend your, your, your time, where you daydream, that's really where your treasure is. Robert McShane 
he said this about his church. He said, I'm worried for my church because to give largely and liberally, not grudgingly at all, requires a new heart. An old heart would rather part with its lifeblood than give its money. Oh, my friends, if that is the case, enjoy your money. Make the most of it. Give none of it away. Enjoy it quickly, for I can tell you, you will be beggars throughout eternity. He was worried for his church. So, so we have this motive that, that we give to God because God has already given to us. Now, what should we give? Well, yeah, you give generously. You give liberally. What should you give? Give what you have. That's what I love about this text, right? They're, they're people, some people have some really good-looking yarn. Give the yarn. Some have gold. They gave gold. Some had silver. Some had bronze. Some had oil, tanned skins, really good wood. Just whatever you have of value, give it to God. Now, here's what's amazing. There's a, there's a number within the text. It actually tells us uh, how much the gold weighed, 2,193 pounds of gold. That's just gold. I, I did the math in today's money. You know what that is? $63 million. This is one expensive tent. Because it's, it's not just the gold that's in this thing. Some of the ornaments that are in there, literally it's 300 pounds of gold for just one piece of ornament. But there's beautiful wood, there's incense, there's jewels, these beautiful things. And this shows us something that God actually cares about art, by the way. Just a side eddy. So this thing is, is moving around with God's presence. And the reason the people are so generous is because their money, their, their gold, was not their hope. Their hope wasn't in their checkbook. Their hope wasn't in having a house or having a mortgage or paying it off. Their significance was not in what they had. Their significance was God. So we've got to give what we have, whatever is of value, but we also need to be willing to give skill and craftsmanship. And at one point in the text, it literally says intelligence. We could use more of that. We could use some more intelligence today. We could use a little bit more back people who know how to do research, who don't just read the thing that's on the, on, on the website and, and click the clickbait. We need, we need smart people, educated individuals, right? That's what we need. Romans actually says this for the New Testament church. Romans says, you have certain gifts, and they differ according to the grace of God. Everyone has a gift of God. So this isn't just money. This isn't just finances. This is your particular gift. And then it says, use them. Use them. If you have faith, use faith. If you have prophecy, use prophecy. If you have service, then serve. If you can teach, teach. If you can exhort, exhort. If you can contribute in generosity, then do it. If you can lead, do it with zeal. And then he says, at the end of that text in Romans 12, do it with cheerfulness. Okay, so God's not, not just saying, give me your wood, give me your gold, give me your money, give me your checkbook, give me you, give me your talent. Okay, if the church is going to rise up in this season, we need you. Uh, we don't need you just to attend. God's not interested in just attenders. He, he's interested in investors. He's interested in community. He's interested in you being involved. You have something to offer to glorify and make God's name known in Truckee, California, the Tahoe area. Amen? I hope you feel challenged and exhorted in a good way. Some of you can do photography, do it for the Lord. Some of you can draw, do it for the Lord. Some of you can build. Hey, we need some stuff redone around here. Some of you can evangelize. Do it. Serve the Lord with all of your heart. Now, now, those, those are what we should give, our money, or another way to say it, our treasure, 
All starts with T's, our treasure, our time, and our talent. All to build the kingdom of God here on earth to the best of our ability, pointing towards the kingdom to come. Now, what ways can you be generous? Let's get creative with this a little bit. Galatians 6.10 says, so then as we have an opportunity, let us do good to everyone and especially those in the household of faith. We should be generous to people in the church in which you worship. But yes, to outsiders, but, but yes, to, to inside this church. Another pastor says, we give to the church that disciples us, that visits us in the hospital, that cares for us, that edifies us in the Lord when we gather, that works for our good. We want to be generous on this front. You, you know what you, you'll, you'll see, regardless of what you give to this church, regardless uh, of how you serve this church, if we find that you're in need, we do everything we can in, in, our, our, uh, in our control to make sure that you're blessed and you're taken care of. I tell you a really neat story. There's a family in our church that, that has had their income reduced during the COVID-19 season, almost to zero. So we became aware uh, of this particular need, and we... we uh, we wrote them a $2,000 check, and we gave it to them, and, and they felt just the love of God. They were very emotional about receiving that money from us. And then on the heels of that, a job came through and supplemented that money to the degree that they contacted the church, and they gave the $2,000 back. And the family said, this was for us an evidence that God will take care of us. You know, it's easy to take care of people when they're in community. It's easy for us to be able to help you if we know you, if you put yourself out there, if you allow yourself to be known, which means that you might, you might get hurt by somebody. But we've got to be generous inside of the church. I remember one particular Sunday, um, which leads to number two. Let me go to number two first. So number one, uh, what was number one? What was my, my point? Oh, to the people in the church, yeah to the church. Number two, they're spontaneously. So there's a place for us to plan. If you're a Dave Ramsey person, you know this, you, you should plan. Dave Ramsey's real big on giving 10%. A lot of pastors are real big on the 10% thing, but you should give spontaneously, like out of the blue. Acts chapter four, verse 34. With great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord. There's the gospel. And there was not one needy person among them because some of them owned land and houses and they sold them out of the blue, laid at the apostles' feet so that it could be distributed amongst those who have need. So you, you guys see this bus here, yeah? Uh, we purchased this bus several years ago. Someone actually bought this for us. It was an eighty, ninety thousand dollars bus at the time. Just out of the blue. Hey, I want to give you a bus. We said, hey, we'll take it. And we've used it for all kinds of trips, youth trips. Uh, and then the state of California, because, you know, the state of California is awesome, they sent us a letter that said, hey, you can't drive this uh, after uh, in January. So it was supposed to be up, I think, because the DMV closed it. You can't drive anymore. The engines, it's just too dirty. It's a dirty engine, so uh, you, you can't use it anymore. And so we have this need. We're like, you know, how are we going to get our kids around? How are we going to get them safely? And I mentioned that, I think it was the last time I preached on giving, uh, which I don't do all that often, but when it's in the text, it's in the text. So we've got to teach it. And so I was teaching on giving, and a lady who'd never been to our church, it's the first time she'd ever been there, she walked up to me and said, I don't know how much the bus is going to cost, but here's a $50,000 start. She handed the church $50,000 that day. Out of the blue. You know what that made me do? 
I smiled. And I thanked God that he's gracious to continue to provide for his people. And so now we have a, a bus that's, that, that's parked out here that uh, we're trying to get a license for. And one day when the DMV opens uh, in 2025, we'll, we'll be able to use it. So spontaneously, there's, there's moments to just say, I want to give. I want to serve. Every now and then I, I check my money uh, online and every now and then I'll see that my wife has given to some organization spontaneously without telling me, which I just have to rejoice in. And know that, that, that there's, there's a place to just say, I feel God calling me to provide a financial gift or a spiritual gift or a need. I want to fill this need. Here's number three. So there's spontaneous and then there's secret. It's good not to know. It's good for people not to know what you do. In fact, uh, Matthew chapter six says, don't, left, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that only God gets the praise. Right? I mentioned the $50,000 check because that's, that's the graciousness of God to provide for his church. And I am so thankful that our church over the years has been faithful in giving to this church. We were preparing for a 30 to 40% decrease in giving for this season. And every month so far, we've been over budget. Isn't that awesome? That's the graciousness of God. And all these other churches have said, yeah, we're losing funds. Yep, we're losing giving. Yep, we're losing tithing. And by God's grace, we're above what we were last year, which means that our church needs to continue to be giving to this community and to this church to provide for this church. So as it comes in, it goes out. And so when you give, you're not, just, you're not giving to a church. You're giving through the church. You understand that, right? You're not giving, so, so nobody, just so you know, nobody's getting rich at Sierra Bible Church, okay? Nobody's rich here. It, it comes in, and then it goes out. You give through, because the church is connected with all the other needs, all the other community leaders, all the stuff that's happening that you're not connected with. So when that money comes in, we find our connections, and then we give out to those connections. So I mentioned last, a uh, couple weeks ago, how, how we give to what's called the Great Commission Fund of the Christian Missionary Alliance. Thousands of dollars, literally, every month goes out of our church towards global missions. We're helping churches get planted all over the world. We're helping missionaries get sent out all over the world. And we can't do that without people realizing that God's a giving God. Nothing that we own is actually ours. And what makes us distinct is God's presence. And when God's presence falls upon us, we can't help but give. So we give secretly. We give spontaneously, and we give also sacrificially. In fact, there's a place where Paul actually is visiting a church in Corinth, and they're giving to Paul, and they're in need. They're needy people, and they're giving. And Paul actually says, he says, they gave according to their means, but also beyond their means, to the point where Paul said, stop giving. We're going to be okay. Now, all that to be said, I think, as a church, if you've not been giving, whether you've not heard of it, maybe the Lord hasn't stirred your heart, that's okay. You're not cheerful about it, that's okay. I know that some of us are in debt because we've made bad decisions or we've needed to because we've been in loss of a job. We haven't had work. If you're like me, you have a large family to feed, so... The Costco run is only getting more expensive. Son's 10 years old. He already drinks like a gallon of milk a day. 
can't wait till he's 16. So I know what that means. I know uh, someone actually shared with me yesterday, you know, the, the stock market recently dropped. They shared an enormous amount of money with me that they lost. I know there's loss of stocks. I know some of us might have student loans, but here's the encouragement. Just start somewhere. Maybe you've not been giving at all. Give a dollar. Give 10 minutes of your time. Maybe give five, maybe give 10, whatever it might be. Just start somewhere. Start giving into the community because you're investing in the community. Start investing into what is yours. Keep, keep going to where hopefully eventually for us it becomes an issue where we say, hey, hey, we, we're, not, we're not able to cycle the money out as much as you're putting it in. And let me just share this, okay? Many of you are new. Some of you are prideful because you're Americans. If you have need, would you contact me? Would you contact the office? Would you let us know because we have resources that we want to use to bless your family? Maybe it's not you. Maybe you know somebody. Maybe they don't even come to church here. We have an opportunity to bless people. A giving church gives. A people who know God's presence are made to be shaped and molded and act like God. And God is the most giving, gracious God we could ever think or imagine. And get ready for communion. I want to read to you this amazing, I think it's just amazing, quote from Aristides, the philosopher, to the emperor Hadrian. I don't know if I said that right, but this is written 125 AD. This is a a non-Christian guy who wrote this piece 125 years after Jesus, AD. This is This is early church stuff, and and he's reporting to the emperor about these Christians. And listen to what he says. This this is about a paragraph long here, so stick with me. But listen to this. This is is what made the church be what it really was. He said this. He says, further to the emperor, if one of these Christians, if one of them have a bondman or a bondwoman or children through love towards them, they persuade them to become Christians. They say, Basically, what he's saying is if they had a, what was a different kind of slave back in the day, he said if, if they had a slave, they would, they would persuade their slaves to become Christians. And when they have done so, they then call them brethren without distinction. They no longer see them as slaves. They, they embrace them as brother and sister. They go, he goes on and says, they do not worship strange gods. And they go their way in all modesty and cheerfulness. He's almost like, What? They're modest and they're happy. Falsehood is not found in them. They love one another. And from widows, they don't turn away their esteem. They deliver the orphan from him who treats him harshly. And he who gives to him who has not without boasting. When they see a stranger, they take him into their homes and rejoice over him as a very brother. For they do not call them brethren after the flesh, but brethren after the spirit and in God. And whenever one of their poor passes from the world, each one of them, according to his ability, gives heed to him and carefully sees to his burial. And if they hear that one of their number is in prison or inflicted on account of the name of their Messiah, all of them anxiously minister to his necessity, and if it is possible, to redeem him and set him free. And if there is among them any that is poor and needy, and if they have no spare food, they fast. Such is their manner of life. And verily, 125 AD, this is a new people. And there is something divine in the midst of them. Isn't that good? 
They give. They worship. They're cheerful. They're cheerful. Here, here, I don't know if you caught it in here. When their pastor was arrested, they paid the bail bondsman. Could you remember that one? Please? They busted him out. Now, as we pull out our communion and the worship team comes up, I mean, ultimately, I could summarize this message this way. If you see that God has given to you, if you see that he has given you the great gift of himself, then likewise, would you give of yourself to the Lord? Would you allow the Spirit of God to encourage you, not to condemn you or to manipulate you, and how you might give to the community of God, to the people of God, to the church of God, that more people would come to know Jesus? I mean, I, I know I'm, I'm in this. I'm in this because I love seeing people grow deeper in their faith with the Lord. I do. That's discipleship. I really, really love it when I see people who don't know Jesus come to know Jesus. I really love it when I see someone who's been coming to church for years and they finally get saved. That, ha that happens. And, and, and I'm invested, man. I'm fully invested. The amount of time and energy and effort, I get paid probably like 10 bucks an hour maybe after it's all said and done. And then my wife, she puts just as much time in there. So we're about $5 an hour. And the reason is because my wife and I have experienced the presence of God. And, and, and when you experience the presence of God, something happens in you. You, you have to want others to experience it. I don't want to change you just morally. I, I don't want to make you into a people that, 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 that God doesn't want you to be. I want you to know Him. I want you to feel His love and His presence. And, and then I want to be able to see that manifest into your whole life. Because God is glorified in that. God's behind us. And He's in front of us. And He's below us. And He's above us. And he's right by our side. He's been gracious. He's been kind. Jesus, we thank you for the body that you have given to us. We thank you for the blood that you shed. We celebrate this communion with you, recognizing you truly are present. You are a God that is loving. You are kind. You are merciful. You are steadfast in love. We celebrate you because you are worthy. In Jesus' name, amen. There's two sheets here. If you've never used these before, there are wafers on the top. And then below that is a place to open the juice. We celebrate his body given on our behalf. And his blood shed for us. God's good, amen? Um, as you fellowship and hang out, we just want to encourage those of you have parents that have parents, those of you who have kids, um, grab them within 15 minutes after the service. The teachers start to leave after that. Uh, if you feel safe with them staying in there, that's fine, but we just want to make you aware that they may not be uh, having, they may not have oversight, so just want to make you aware of that. And um, seriously, uh, you can connect the office connect with one of the pastors, whatever needs that you may have. This is a season where I know there are many needs. One of the greatest needs that we all have, I think and believe, uh, is our relationship with Jesus being on solid foundation so that we would not operate out of fear, 
but that we would truly operate out of faith. I love you guys. So good to see you every week. I'm just so thankful for it. I hope to see you next week. Have a good afternoon. Hey, friends, let's stand together. We're going to close with a couple songs. And <clears throat> this next song, I'm going to invite you to put your hands together. Um, and let's, uh, let's celebrate together. You can even hit every beat if you want. Here we go. Would you be free from your burden of sin? There's power in the blood, power in the blood. Would you, oh evil, a victory win? There's wonderful power in the blood. There is power, power, wonder working power in the blood of the Lamb. There is power, power, and working power in the precious blood of the Lamb. Would you be free from your passion and pride? There's power in the blood, power in the blood. Come for a cleansing to Calvary's side. There's wonderful power in the blood. There is power, power, wonder working power in the blood of the Lamb. There is power, power, wonder working power in the precious blood of the Lamb. Would you be wider, much wider than snow? There's power in the blood power in the blood sin stains are lost in its life-giving flow there's wonderful power in the blood there is power power wonder working power in the blood of the lamb there is power power wonder working power in the precious blood of the lamb this last verse together, friends. Would you do service to Jesus, your King? There's power in the blood, power in the blood. Would you live daily His praises to sing? There's wonderful power in the blood. There is power, power, wonder working power in the blood of the Lamb. There is power, power, wonder working power in the precious blood of the Lamb. There is power, power, wonder working power in the blood of the Lamb. There is power, power, wonder working power in the precious blood of the Lamb. In the precious blood of the Lamb, in the precious blood of the Lamb. Amen. As we sing this last song together, just a reminder that we build our house upon the rock. And uh, Lord, may we uh, bring you honor and praise.
every song we could ever sing Worthy of all the praise we could ever bring Worthy of every breath we could ever breathe We live for you Jesus, the name above every other name. Jesus, the only one who could ever say. Worthy of every breath we could ever breathe. We live for you. Oh, we live for you. Holy, there is no one like. There is none beside you. Open up my eyes in wonder and show me who you are and fill me with your heart and lead me in your love to those around me. We sing worthy. Worthy of every song we could ever sing. Worthy of all the praise we could ever bring. Worthy of every breath we could ever breathe. We live for you. Jesus, the name above every other name. Jesus, the only one who could ever say. Worthy of every breath we could ever breathe. We live for you. Oh, we live for you. Holy, there is no one like there is none beside you open up my eyes in wonder and show me who you are and fill me with your heart and lead me in your love to those around me holy there is no one like you there is none beside you open up my eyes in wonder and show me who you are and fill me with your heart and lead me in your love to those around me
God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Thank you for worshiping with us, guys. We'll see you next week. We love you. Hi, guys. guitar needs a tune-up. <laughs> it will not stay in tune. Did you just change it? Or? I did like maybe like four weeks ago, something like that. Like I change them like every couple months, but it was just like, man, we started and I was just like, ah, oh, that is so out of tune right now. <laughs> Bad. Sounded great. Oh, Had to pluck in the little things here and there. I'll get better as I get more into what what these songs mean to me. You know. Sure. <coughs> so I brought a, a folder this time. That <laughs> up a week. Everyone's like, "Where's your moon?" I'm like, "I know." I have I'm going to remember this, I'm going to have to take notes.